everyone. Welcome back to Invested, where we talk about wealth as being more than just money. Our partners, Paul Rand, Joel Rand, and Sarah Minikari, will bring in guests and industry thought leaders to chat about meaningful topics on personal finances, health and wellness, ideas for your business, tax planning, and other key issues that impact our lives and our livelihood. So thank you for joining us, and we hope you find our discussions not only practical and educational, but maybe sometimes a little thought-provoking. With that, let's get to the episode. On today's episode of Invested, we are very fortunate to be speaking with Kate DeBartolo, Senior Director at The Conversation Project. The Conversation Project is a public engagement initiative with the goal to help everyone talk about their wishes for care through end of life so that those wishes can be understood and respected. They are encouraging all of us to share the way we want to live through the end of our lives and to communicate about the kind of care we both want and don't want for ourselves. The Conversation Project offers free tools, guidance, and resources to begin talking with those who matter to us most about their wishes. Kate has worked for the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, or IHI, since 2007, and she currently leads the Conversation Project team and operations. Additionally, Kate manages and cultivates relationships with national and state-level organizations to help engage the general public in advanced care planning. During our time with Kate today, we talk about how to normalize this conversation process so it's not such a daunting task, and she provides us with some tips and insights on how to best start engaging with our family and friends. So with that, let's get to our conversation with Kate DeBartolo from The Conversation Project. Welcome back to Invested, and we are joined today with Kate DeBartolo. Uh, Did I say that correctly? Did I get it? You did. Okay, perfect. (laughs) All right, excellent. Uh, Kate is with The Conversation Project. Project, and we're going to have a conversation about the conversation project. Um, with that, Kate, why don't you just tell us a little bit about the conversation project, its background, and go through that for us. Great. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. Um, conversation project is an initiative within IHI for the Institute for Healthcare Improvement that's goal is to help people have conversations about the kind of care they would want through the end of life. So really how to talk about it, make sure those wishes are understood and hopefully ultimately respected. So we have a lot of free resources for people just trying to raise awareness about this idea that it doesn't always have to be a super medical or legal conversation. And then a lot of these free tools to help people get started with it. Great. We're we're super excited to have you here because this really folds into what we work with clients And we're constantly telling them when it comes to estate planning in particular, right? We want to do that when everyone is happy and healthy. And yeah, it's not a lot of fun to sit down and talk about, uh, but it's stuff that needs to be covered. And and generally, we, we always talk about the legal documents that are involved with that, but that's not exactly what we're talking about today. What we're talking about is more getting into, hey, how do you feel about this? And how do you want this to unfold? So Normally, how do you, what are some of the the tips that you have for getting that started? Yeah, you hit on something that's really important to us where we find that a crisis is a really hard time to learn about. And sometimes you can't even find out or have conversations with people. And so for us, we're trying to normalize having these conversations early and often, you know, around the kitchen table, if that's what's comfortable for you or on in the car or sometimes by email, like it doesn't always have to be verbal conversations. I want to, to state that, but just kind of normalizing, having some communication around these wishes. Um, 
and not you know your point about not just being legal for us we don't think that it does much good to have a document that's like 10 years old sitting in a filing cabinet somewhere that nobody knows that it's there or my favorite when somebody said oh i've done all of that it's in a safety deposit box and like <laughs> nobody knows about that right. so and, and to have kind of potential conflict between people so to to just make this more comfortable to speak about. Um, that's one of our big goals. And to, I think especially within families of like, who knows what, and just eliminating some of that, uh, that question is really important for us. Great. And, um, you know, one of the things that going through your things, you go through into your materials, uh, one of the things that we picked up and we talked about is, this doesn't have to be like one big, heavy yeah. conversation, right? I mean, Yes, you can have a family meeting and we can bring this up as part of that and have discussions about that, but that's probably not the best way to go about it. And it can be brought up in little pieces. And, and you have some sort of tips on that. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, kind of joke that it should have been the conversations project. You know, this isn't something. And, and I want to encourage anybody who says, oh, yeah, yeah, I did that a while ago. Or, you know, I heard somebody's like, I had shoulder surgery 12 years ago. My doctor definitely still has that on file. It's like, oh, you have too much faith in the healthcare system, like record keeping and your wishes may have changed. Your family may not know what you want. Um, so I think that that's a, an important distinction for us. So for us, we think it's actually something anybody over 18 should start to do. So everybody over age 18 should have a healthcare proxy. Even if that's the one thing you do, who would you want to have make medical decisions for you? Maybe you're moving away from town. Um, your parents don't automatically have the, the legal rights to make those decisions for you. If you're getting married or you have kids or divorced or a major move, like there's a lot of life points where it's important to revisit this. And so I think that's one of the other things that we want to see in normalizing it is it can be the kind of thing that every year you just make sure is up to date. Have any of your wishes changed? Anything that you would want to do differently? We really encourage people to have conversations about the kind of care they would want to receive with their present body and mind in mind. Like, don't make decisions. I remember talking to somebody who answered every question as if he was 85 years old with Alzheimer's in a nursing home and he was 30 and healthy. It's like sometimes I think when people think about end of life care wishes, they're imagining some future state. And, and we really can't think about every hypothetical medical scenario that might play out. So for right now, how would you answer some of these questions if something unexpected were to occur? And then maybe if there's a new diagnosis or a new kind of situation that plays out, you can, you can update it. Um, and that's one reason why with our materials, we really focus a bit more on what your, your values are and not really specific medical scenarios to have to answer. I don't think it's always appropriate for lay people to try to think of every medical right. you know, option and your wishes might change later on. So um, thinking about more generally in conversation, are you concerned about too much care or too little care? Do you want to know exactly what your doctor's the prognosis might be or not? Those are the kinds of things that you can talk about that can can help somebody who might have to make decisions for you. I mean, as that relates to the legal documents, I think a lot of clients and people we work with get overwhelmed because they think the decision's irrevocable. And we're like, okay, yeah. plan for today, plan for what we know today. We can amend this, amend this in the future, whether it's you know the conversation or the actual legal documents. Yeah. But it's important to kind of set those things in stone, not even in stone, but open up the conversation so it's fluid now and then amend them as we go. Yep, absolutely. You can change who your healthcare proxy is over time 
in many cases, people should change who their proxy is, whether there's marriage or death in a family or, you know, paying attention to um, like memory status of different people Uh and say, okay, I think maybe we need to swap it out. And so we have some tips on that of how do you have those conversations and, and how can you pick somebody I I actually think there's a lot of times where people assume it must be a spouse or it must be the oldest child who plays the proxy. And that's not always the case either. Sometimes people don't have those people in their life. You might be a solo ager or that might not be the person who you feel like could speak for your wishes the best. And so we try to provide people with a lot of different options of who they could choose and how to go about thinking of that. And I also want to name, we talk about healthcare proxy here. Different states have different terms for it. That's one of the reasons why it gets confusing for people. Sometimes it's a healthcare agent or surrogate or healthcare power of attorney. Mm -hmm. And the documents are always slightly different in every state. And and so that's, again, another reason why, rather than getting bogged down in some of the legality of it, talking about it is so important. And I'm not a lawyer. And I'm not a doctor, but I know from a lot of doctors. But you play one on TV. <laughs> yeah, a lot of healthcare professionals say they would prefer to see a family come in on the same page about what somebody wants rather than a 10-year-old piece of paper that the family's fighting about. Yeah. She didn't tell me that. And she just told me this later. Like, that's far more complex for them than to feel like there's a group that comes in saying, we understand what our wishes were, we're you know. This is who's going to be your point of contact. So that type of thing is, again, where it's really helpful um, in a clinical setting. Doesn't every state have a free version of a proxy? They can yeah. download one off the, the state's website. And whether yep. it's a notary or a witness or some combination of that, yeah. um, they can kind of get the, the 101 coverage. Yep. And you know, during the pandemic, it's been a little bit harder for some folks to get a notary if that's what your state requires or getting two witnesses to sign something. And so... Honestly, even sending an email to the whole family or whole group, like, here's my trusted decision maker. Like, just want to remind everybody, I picked Susie. She and I have talked about what we want. Like, showing that some of these conversations have happened is still a really helpful paper trail to have left. Yeah. And thank you for for mentioning that, too, by the way, because, you know, a lot of our current clients will... Well, we've we've been beating them over the heads, <laughs> saying, "Hey, you know, your kids are coming back from college for break. Make sure you get the healthcare directive or the healthcare proxy filled out." So, because they're adults now, and but that the good news is, is that does help start the conversation, right? It's hard for a parent to not make their kid sign something and at least not have some sort of chat about it, a discussion about it. Yeah, which is you know the other point we were talking about too earlier. When, you know, is it is it just parents talking to kids or is it kids needing to bring it up to their parents? And it's sometimes we have families that, you know, maybe the parents are in their 80s and they're all buttoned up and they have all of their documents done and they lay out for their kids and they walk them through, they walk the kids through what they want. Usually not most people are buttoned up about it, but yeah, but in some cases it's when we meet uh, a younger family, one of our questions we always ask is, okay, well, tell us about your parents and where are they? Have they done their documents? And have you had the conversation about what they want? And, you know, even I've had that conversation with my parents of, you know, you guys spend part of your time in Minnesota and part of your time in Hawaii. If something happens, where do you want to be? You know, and so uh, can you talk a little bit about the family dynamics and, and what you see and how that sort of unfolds? Yeah, I feel like I've seen a million different family dynamics. So I don't want anybody to think like this has to go exactly one way. So just start with that. You you know the culture of your family unit best. You know who's going to 
kind of receive a topic um, better or worse than others. I think that there's that idea of kind of little mini conversations that like, oh, Minnesota versus Hawaii or yeah. whatever it might be like that. That can be a, a single question that kind of opens up a bigger thing. Or yeah. I saw this on a TV show or I read this article or, hey, I listened to this podcast and they were talking about X and it made me realize I don't know what you would want if such and such happened or here's something that happened to Aunt Susie. Is that what you would want? So there's a lot of different ways to bring it up that aren't like mom and dad we need to talk about this big, heavy, like, let's <laughs> yeah, like, um, we have a, a funny video on our website of like people practicing in the mirror. And it's like, so I was watching Game of Thrones, which reminds me, everybody dies. Like, have you I watched that video? That was brilliant. <laughs> yeah. So there can be kind of different ways to bring that up. Um, we, we've definitely seen it's, it's often easier to bring it up if you've done it yourself. So rather than, hey, mom and dad, have you done this thing? Or why won't you tell me? It's like, I'm doing it right now for myself. Here's what I've chosen. Is Have you guys done the same thing? Or for yep. somebody who might be a little dug in and doesn't want to talk about this, which happens a lot, you can sometimes say, this is what I think you would want. Is that right? So literally, you're kind of getting like yeah. a yes, no answer out of somebody, but you're kind of taking your best guess because they may be like, well, no, because I, I don't want this or make sure you put me over here or, you know, you might get a little bit more out of it that way. Um, I, we often hear people who, you know, if I ever get like that, pull the plug or right. give me the whole enchilada. It's like two ends of the spectrum. And I think that those folks feel like they're being very clear about what their wishes are. But really, you could try to pry. You can you can follow that thread a little bit more and pull on it to say, "Hey, it sounds like you're worried about receiving too little care. Can we talk about that a little bit more? What would success look like to you here?" Um, and then I think within family dynamics, we sometimes see skip generational stuff. Like it's almost easier for an, a young adult grandchild to mention something about a grandparent and say, "Wait a minute, what's going on with grandpa here?" Why aren't you aunts and uncles, you know, talking about this properly? You so you can skip generations. Um, I would say blended families. It's super important. I remember speaking with one woman who was her husband's second wife. They had done all of their estate planning. It was very clear she was going to be the healthcare proxy, but he had not told his adult children that. Mm. And she was realizing I can prevent World War Three here if all he does is says. Hey guys, I've talked to Susan, wanted you to know she's the healthcare proxy. Even just that amount of like not having a question of who the person is can really help. Um, you don't always have to tell every single person all of your big wishes, but they could know who the decision maker is. Yeah, you know, my mom was one eliminates, of seven. It eliminates the surprise in that in crisis exactly. mode, right? Yeah. yeah. My mom was one of seven. She was the healthcare proxy for both of her parents. And each of the siblings all had kind of different assignments of what they were doing, but there was not a question of who the decision maker was. Mm -hmm. So my grandparents didn't have to tell all of their kids every single choice. They could tell my mom that one, but they were all on the same page about that. Um, so I think that's where it's like everything comes back to having conversations. And again, they don't have to be hours long, full of tears, really deep conversations. They can just be like letting folks know what's going on we find that it's a really good chance to kind of like conversations clarify. So just clarify things with people, even if you're not going to get into all of the details. You know, and you, you, you brought up uh, when you mentioned, Hey, there's, there's a legal document, but having clarity around that, 
you know, one of the things that we we talk to our, our clients about, too, is it's not just getting the healthcare directive done. And you mentioned it being in a safe deposit box. And, you know, what, what we like to tell them is, hey, you're in the middle of a crisis now. You go to the hospital or wherever that is. The first question they ask you is, do you have a healthcare directive? It doesn't do you any good if it's in the safety deposit box, right? So you need a yes, have it filled out talk about it, but also have a copy of that on your phone so that you can go, yes, here, here it is. Um, yep. But we've certainly experienced dynamics where we've had family and, you know, whether it's the siblings, one got picked over the other, but it wasn't shared ahead of time. And yeah. that, that was a bit of a World War Three. And that's such a, I, I want to say simple. I realize not in all family dynamics, it's not necessarily simple, but it's a it's a small step that can be made that for many family dynamics would help prevent some of that confusion. Yeah. So that would be a big, um, a big suggestion for me, even just telling people where, where the document is or who it is. And you know what, if you want to change who your proxy is, a great tip that I did learn from a lawyer was don't shred and disregard the old documents of mm. what you had. You can keep the old one and write on it update, you know, void, updated as of X date, new proxy is so-and-so, so that like you can kind of acknowledge a paper trail Document to show it, that right. there's been mm -hmm. a change. Um, so I think that those, they can all be kind of tips. I think the other thing for people to realize is the idea of needing a proxy or an advanced directive, A, is a little bit modern and new because science and technology have gotten so advanced that there are more choices to be made in the healthcare. We didn't used to have all of these options. So that's one reason why it is kind of a slightly newer concept. Uh, you know, something else that we talk to uh, or, or we talk to clients about, but what's, and we try and bring this up in a, in a gentle way, because when we, when we do financial planning with the clients, a couple of things happen. One is, Oftentimes, we'll, we'll, when we get to the end of plan age, right, we, uh, as, as we like to call it, and we'll say, oh, we're planning to age, whatever that age is, 95, to, you know, we're talking to them about family history. And they'll say, oh, I'm not letting into 95. I'm, you know, yeah, I'm, 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 if I'm still alive at 90, then, you know, do something about it. And we're like, okay, well, we'll ask you that when you're 89. Right. <laughs> How are you feeling? But, but we don't know, right? We don't know when that's going to be. And that's why we want to have these conversations. But also with couples, uh, they don't age at the same rate, right? Yeah. And and even if you think, oh, okay, well, you know, the the husband may be older, and uh, but something may happen to to the to the spouse at a different time, and and it's not normally just one event and quickly, and it's then there you go. Sometimes yeah. there's a cut, and and thinking about yes, it's not just my death, it might be serious illness, it might be something else that limits mobility. Uh, and then so do you, do you have any tips about talking to couples and making sure they're thinking about that? And it's what do you know, what do you want to happen if something happens to the other person? And what do you want to happen if something happens to the other person? Anything that you have to? Yeah, most of our stuff is about an individual's healthcare decision. Mm -hmm. And yet we've seen we have a guide I'm going to hold them up for anybody who happens to be watching. So we have these free conversation guides. That's kind of the idea. How do you pick a proxy? How do you be a proxy? How do you be a caregiver um, for somebody who might have Alzheimer's or other forms of dementia? And we have one specifically for somebody living with serious illness. And some of the questions might depend on your state of caregiver support. You know, so my choices might change if I can no longer be at home because 
there isn't anybody at home to help take care of me. So I do think it is helpful to think through some of those scenarios. I think especially if there are adult children in the picture, or or maybe if there aren't, it's even that much more important to say, oh, if somebody's having memory issues and they were my healthcare decision maker, I might need to start to change that. So what are the kind of cues that we're going to see that we might need to revisit some of the conversations that we had or the plans that we made? Um, I know it, it's kind of different and yet the same to me that I remember with my grandmother, one of her most important things was if she could have her cat with her. She was willing to move to any kind of a living or treatment facility if her cat could be with her. But that actually provided a lot of guidance for family to say, okay, we're only going to pick facilities or only treatment options where her cat could be with her the whole way through. And that's that's what happened. So um, what matters to somebody is really individual and unique. And it can be as simple as that of like, I want to be able to see family every Sunday. So I'm willing to move to be closer to family or um, you know, there's, there's kind of a, a wide range of the types of things that matter most to somebody. And, and in many cases, that could be what's happening with my partner or with a spouse. I think we also deal with um, not always adult children, but I'm going to go with that mantra right now. We often talk about the seagull effect of, of one who might live closer to parents. They might be much more involved in their day-to-day life and, and helping provide caregiving support and helping make decisions. And then you have the sibling who swoops in from out of town for a weekend to kind of see everything, dumps on the entire plan and then flies back out and like tries to change everything. And so I think it's really being careful of some of the, the dynamics that might exist around who knows what's going on the best, who's having some of those little side conversations or might be noticing um, changes in somebody's mental status or physical abilities and really trying to listen to what they're observing as well. So being careful if you're a listener who is likely to be the seagull swooping in to yes. jump all over a plan, mm-hmm. or if you're the one who's nearby, how to advocate for like how much you've been able to observe and, and make recommendations. Have the conversations or frameworks changed with the pandemic? I, I mean, you know, mortality is such a bigger concern for such a greater population now. Um, yeah. Any recommendations or, you know, have you seen any differences in how these conversations are had? Yeah, I would say in the early months of the pandemic, we saw like wild website traffic and news and people. There are there are people, you know, over 90% of Americans think this is an important thing to do, but they're not all doing it. It's like it's one of those things that's on people's to-do list every weekend that yeah. is hard to feel it's as so, urgent. It's so unsex, unsexy, right? It's not yeah, or it's Saturday, like talk about yeah. death with family. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. There's there's always something that you can put a little higher on the like right. urgency list until suddenly it's really urgent. And so I think for some people, the pandemic was like, it's now pretty urgent. We need to get this in play. And then there were other people who were like, I cannot touch this topic right now while this is such a real issue, or I'm, I'm worried about homeschooling kids, or I'm worried about, you know, there was just kind of different um, mental status for different folks about how the pandemic got in. I do think that we've seen a much younger audience start to approach this topic and just kind of acknowledge that tomorrow is not given for anybody. And uh, this is something that we really should all do. So that's been pretty wild to see. And and I'm happy to see kind of the age demographics of who's been coming to our website or downloading our materials, getting much younger. And uh, I hope that 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 shows some of this kind of culture shift that we're looking for, that it's not, we're here to help individuals have these conversations. And we're trying to normalize it as a concept in general, so that it's a, a more common thing for people. 
And while we while you brought that up, let's make sure we get in a full uh, plug for the website and the not it's the nonprofit organization. And can you talk a little bit about what's there and what are some of the resources? Sure. So yes, nonprofit organization. Everything we have is free, and we have a lot of free conversation guides. So you're trying to think, okay, I want to bring this up with my partner or with a parent, and I don't know how to do it. I don't even know what I would talk about. That's what we hear from a lot of people. Like I know I should do it, and I don't know what to talk about. So we have these conversation guides that walk you through, as I described, some scale questions that you could think about, some open-ended questions, and then really making a plan of who am I going to talk to? When am I going to do it? What are some icebreakers so that I could I could even bring it up? For some people, it's easier to bring it up by email or in writing or to say, I want to write down my thoughts for you, and I'd be happy to talk about it afterwards. But it's maybe too emotional or it's too complex or I'm not going to see you in person for a while. So let me get it down in writing. Um, for others, they want to do it in person or over the phone. So we give a lot of tips on that, as well as how do you choose a proxy? How do you be a proxy? How do you talk to a healthcare team? If I'm responsible for making somebody's decisions, how do I push back if I have questions or, or um, think about that? We've talked about, seriously, a, a guide for people living with serious illness or with being a caregiver. And we have one for parents of seriously ill children as well. Um, so those are the kinds of tools that we have. We've got a bunch of videos, kind of extra resources to make this easier for people. And we also have found that there's people all over the country and world who now want to bring this to their community and say, okay, I, I bought in, I've done it, or I saw how important this was within my family, and I want to help bring it to my region. So we have a lot of resources for people to bring this where they live, work, pray, learn, a lot of congregations taking on this topic, employers, groups like you guys, just kind of saying, what's my sphere of influence? Yes. How can I help to normalize it there? So we do a lot of that community work. Great. Um, well, listen, you've been very generous with your time. Thank you. And we want to make sure we, we get you back to the conversation project and why you get back to the work and we're, we're, we're cheerleading for you. Absolutely. Uh, so thank you so much for your time. Thank Thanks you for joining us. So much. You're welcome. Really thank you to listeners it. too. You guys have a good excuse in hearing this. You can bring it up. So Paul and Sarah told me I had to ask you about oh, it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, put it. Put it on us. So we're the ones who run it up. Um, and and be in touch with us if anybody has questions or ways that we can be helpful. Perfect. Well, deal. Thanks very much, Kate. Appreciate your time. Thank you. So that's our episode for today. Thank you for listening. If you found this topic interesting or useful, please let us know. Or if there are other topics you'd like us to address, let us know that too. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for joining us, and thanks for being invested. The RAND Group is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with Hightower Advisors, LLC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Some investment professionals may also be registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is neither indicative nor a guarantee of future results. The investment opportunities referenced 
referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data or other information referenced herein is from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other data information contained in this presentation is provided as general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. The Rand Group and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates make no representations or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for the statements or errors or omissions or results obtained from the use of this information. The Rand Group and Hightower Advisors LLC assume no liability for any action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to this information. The information is provided as of the date referenced in the document. Such data and other information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed herein are solely those of the author and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates.